motorcycles, and misfits. What? <laughs> Coming to you <laughs> live and recorded from the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Hey, everyone. This is Liza, and I am sitting in the lonely, lonely train room. I can't wait to get people back in here. Oh, COVID, <laughs> you slay me. But it's given us some opportunities. Uh, recording through Zoom, we're able to get more people on. So um, let's get to who is with us in the Zoom chat tonight. Of course, everybody's favorite. It's Bagel. Chilling at 43 degrees. See what I did there? Emma was ready to talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean. You're mean to me. Oh. Of course, everyone's other favorite, it's Miss Emma. No, it's too late, darling. It's <laughs> absolutely too late. You've blotted your copybook for the last time. This is the end of it. <clears throat> Honestly, Liza, I've had enough. You <laughs> mo- bypass me completely, darling, and go straight to Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, instead, Honestly, about- you're the, no, no, no. You're the absolute limit, Liza. You <laughs> really are. <laughs> Okay. If I was there, I no. If you, if I was there, I would blow raspberry at you in person. I tell you what, I'll make it up to you, Emma. Why don't you take the rest of the introductions from here? Well, thank you, darling. Okay. So, um, who else do we have in the heist? Who else do we have in the heist? Coming from his luxurious apartment in the Ensignal District of Santa Cruz, it's an arc. <laughs> what up? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. yeah. What's up, Ding Dongs? I'm back, baby. Yeah, he's right. back. I never left though. Hey, so, and, um, hold on, hold on. Uh, hey, knock. Just so you know, I'm not sure your microphone is picking up. It sounds like it's the the room mic that we're hearing. Okay, maybe I should turn the yeah. volume down on this. Oh, can you I, hear me now? Oh, I can hear you. It's just the audio. It sounds like it's coming from your laptop and not from the microphone. Oh, weird. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, just play with well, that. Let me, let me start it. Yeah, let me start it. Yeah, yeah. And then Emma. We got so, another uh, introduction. Um, our final misfit for now, because we have got a couple coming in later. Um, me and Liza were going backwards and forwards a few Check weeks ago, two. and we... Um, How about we real- Knock, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the um, same. Let's go for it. All right. So um, we decided that the one thing that's been lacking within the misfits... <laughs> is an expert on the domestic product. And it just so happens that I have a very, very dear friend. How long have we been friends, Rick? Are we we talking about uh, whiskey? What are we talking about? The domestic product in motorcycling, darling. Oh, yes. Yeah, the GDP. (laughs) So how long have we been friends, Rick? Too long. How long is the string? Um, Yeah. I'd say yeah, 20 years. So coming to us from Auburn, California, professional motorcycle mechanic, uh, in irritant, instigant, hellraiser, it's Rick. Hi, I'm Rick. Yes, you are. <laughs> hey, Rick, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. It's been good listening, and, it, and it's going to be fun talking. Hey, yeah. Rick. Did you grow up in Pacific Grove, Monterey area? You're in my yearbook, homie. What? Wait, wait, wait. let me prove it to you. Let me (laughs) prove it to you. Hold on. I am not a Mexican. Yeah, that is my (laughs) secret 
Wow. I got a ticket for a Mexican once when I got getting my hair cut. Yeah, that, nothing, nothing too Latino Latino. They're amazing. So, but like, <laughs> so could not handle that. Yeah. Are you, so, Knock, are you and Rick the same age? Or is. Uh, I'd imagine so. We're in our 40s, 41. I'm 37. I'm so, yeah, I think we were just like on the ass and tail of PG High. All wow. about ass and tail. <laughs> I was the caboose, if you will. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is funny. All right. Um, Rick, by any chance, do you have the yearbook nearby? If I was more prepared, it's like 100 yards that way in a connex in the cold. Okay. Yeah. So uh, for the next show, I'm giving you uh, an assignment. I will. Um, because, Rick, what you need to know is obviously the show is, is being recorded right now, but the video is actually being recorded too. And, no. as, a th as a thinly veiled threat, Liza will in fact post it on YouTube later. Oh, excellent then. Well, I will go out of my way, make this happen, and stay tuned. Awesome. Yes. Hey, we got another misfit joined us. It's Charlie. Oh, Charlie. Yeah, you're muted, dude. <laughs> he looks good. <laughs> No, always up to misfit standard. Now your mic, you have no microphone. Oh yes, he says he's he's mouth. So you're gonna have to get your headphones with the microphone and plug them in and come back. All right, we'll try that again. Hey Rick, <laughs> welcome to the shit show. Hey, it's fun. <laughs> all right. You, um, you, you think you after all these years <laughs> we had it figured uh, out? I would expect no different. But, you know, isn't it amazing, Rick? I mean, we've got a history. Um, you've obviously got a history with Nock. I know you've listened to the podcast on and off for many, many years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so great to have you. And I really don't understand why we didn't do this sooner. Because, you know, our, our knowledge and credibility amongst the Harley and Indian crew is sadly lacking. Absolutely. And so... And so we need we need that insight because you are you you're very talented within the industry and you're you know you know how these things work. So um, would you like to have a run through where you're working? So sure. you know, give us your chops. Where are you working? And what are you riding right now? And what ooh. are you working on? Ooh, ooh, that is going to be yeah. A, that's a touchy part today. But we'll start with where I am. I am in beautiful North Auburn, California. I was born and bred in Monterey, uh, Pacific Grove, to be even better about it. I have the one Pacific Grove gang tattoo. My heart <laughs> right there. Hell yeah. <laughs> There's like Hell a yeah. monarch wing in there. Like, it gets weird. Um, Dude, now you're legit PG, bro. It's foggy every day, permanently gray. Hey, hey. 40831. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Um, I'm in Auburn. Yeah, I hatched over there, got into the motorcycle thing. Uh, Auntie Emma really like kicked me in the butt and made it happen. I really, if it wasn't for Emma, I would not be doing this. Period. Well, no, I think you would have, but you went kind of, I don't you know, know. I, oh, you know, I would have, but I wouldn't have had any uh, uh, respectful foundation of motorcycles. I, okay, and I will give that. Yeah. And this is the one thing, you know, this is like the Emma lecture. The, the, the biggest thing 
that I have to give to people that they need to understand. If you're working on bikes in general, and if you're working on old bikes in particular, you better have some respect for that machine. You know, you you yeah. really, before you even lay your hands on it, totally. you need to understand that this is a machine that demands your respect. Don't and it's from the... It. Yep. <laughs> yeah, There's absolutely. no point in getting mad at it. It's done nothing to you personally. If it's not going how you want, you need to change what you're doing. And this applies where it's the humblest moped totally. right up to the poshest superbike. Hell, I was working on cars all... for years, too. And I brought, right, all, exactly. I brought all my garage stuff with me into there, you know, and everything left better than it came in, and tire pressures were checked because we gave a shit, and, you know, right. that's what you do. So you're an independent right now, and... Yeah. Um, um, right now I'm at an Indian dealership up here in Auburn. Uh, oh, good. Right on. I love Indian. Yeah, they're awesome. And it was kind of left field for me. It was nothing I went looking for. Um I broke up with Harley Davidson in Morgan Hill in March. I bought a trailer. I ran away to move to the woods and work in an Indian dealership. COVID happened. Everything went bananas for months. I didn't know what was going to happen. Everything's been great. I've been at the Indian dealership. And the industry surprised the hell out of me. I expected tumbleweeds. And we were banner years for motorcycles going out the door. Right. And, you know, I think we've been thrown... Well, I know we've been thrown something of a lifeline, you know, because of the yeah. pandemic. I mean, you talk about making lemonade when life gives you lemons. It really has been a lifeline for the motorcycle industry. Because if you think about it, we've said this over and over again. It's always appropriate to say it. We're a very, very tight-knit group. But ultimately, it's just you and your bike. And so yes. it's a perfect social distancing thing. Yeah, and what better time if you can't go to work because you're laid off, if you can't hang out with your friends and relatives because there's a pandemic on, get on your fucking bike and, up and here have in the a mountains, good time. It's ridiculous. Oh. You throw a rock and it's a good ride, you know? Yeah. Go ride that motorcycle. <laughs> oh, hello, Charlie. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so, um, Rick. Yeah. So. We know who you are. We know where you're working now. You've been through the Harley Davidson dealership. I know you've worked in Texas. You've worked here. What are you riding and building now? And uh, you know this is the misfit, so don't hold back. Oh no, I'll I'll um I'll be honest. In this very moment, all three motorcycles I kind of own are at the motorcycle shop I work at. <laughs> that is so classic no, 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 right. misfit. Now, may I tell you why? Yes, they're Please all Harley do. Davidsons. Oh, I'm going to say it. I''m, I'm, a, I'm just, I'm not, there's no sugar. They're very good. Uh, this is the full spectrum of, you know, what happens on my side of the fence. Okay. So there's an 81 cone shovel chopper that I got in Texas and that I horse traded with the old man. So that one's actually getting out of my flock. And I horse trade it towards a 56 pan head that he's got. And I've been wanting a pan since I was a squirt. It was just one of those things. And my fourth day working there, me and my girlfriend walk into his little honey hole where he keeps all of his old chiefs and knuckleheads and ridiculous collection of neat stuff. And we see this chopper in the back. 
And this thing, the last plate on it's in 77. And it's a Bay Area looking bike. You know, it's got an extended front end that's got just an English front end shoehorn into it. And, you know, it looks like it was done with lots of drugs and love and chrome. <laughs> you know, it's got two inch up swept fishtails that are going to burn Jessica's ass and she's going to love it. You know, it's. It's kick only, six bolts, no front brake, and it's going to be super fun. You and said like, you said Bay Area. Any chance Arlen Ness has uh, had a, a piece of it at all? The the trip about it is my boss worked right alongside and raced Arlen all the time. Um, my boss is this man named Carlo Lujan, who's got a little bit of a legacy up here for racing, too. And uh, when we're talking NHRA, we're talking drag stuff. We're talking the 101-inch shovels jamming down there trying to kill everybody. That was him building them. Uh, he had a great reputation. Or he still does. You know, that was his thing. So it's kind of neat. Like, I see a picture of a chopper on Instagram, a Ness one recently. Um, I think Corey or one of them is building something that had a external belt drive on it I was mm -hmm. tripping out on. And it was like an overhead cam setup. It's like something like Stan DeShong did a real long time ago. And, like, I showed it to Carlo, my boss, and he's like, oh, yeah, let me show you this. And he goes upstairs and pulls out a magazine, and he was in it and showed me this crap. And... Yeah, me and Arlen used to trade this and that, the other thing, and it's a trip. This one, I don't think it did, but was it around in the time? Yeah. You know, that it's got a blue and yellow plate. It's a trip. You know, someone basically rebuilt it at Sack Harley back probably, you know, Bob Drone times and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it sat. It came to our shop to be consigned. Nobody wanted it. And Carlo pushed it in the corner, and then I found it. And then... Um, so those are my like fun bikes. My daily is an 05 Super Glide Sport FXDXI. Um, they start as an 88 inch twin cam. I punched it out to 100, did some cams, crazy tunes. I, I left California and I did all the cool stuff. That's pretty much how that went. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I know you won't mind admitting this, uh, Rick, because, you know, we're the misfits. You had quite a serious wreck on that bike. Oh, I parked it upside down over the San Andreas Fault. That was stupid. Yeah. Ooh, oh, wait. Um, I could show you a picture on my phone on this. That's dumb. Ooh, yeah, listeners will nice. love that. Yeah. Um, and there's this beautiful <laughs> super glide upside down in a ditch. It's the saddest Smoky picture. gold was the color, too. Um, <laughs> wait, so this is perfect because y'all are from the right spot. Um, San Andreas Road. All right, let's oh, yeah. pretend we're going north on one. Mm -hmm. We take the left where the Chevron is right there on yeah. Street, I think it is. Oh, I know where it is. All right, so on San yeah. Andreas Road, oh. if you were going the opposite direction, leaving La Selva, there's one crappy turn over there before you get to Beach Street. It's like a downhill left that banks outward right with dirt and gravel in it all the time because there's a farm turnout. So I learned a lot about suspension that day because my shock absorbing suspension turned into a pogo stick because it was leaking. <laughs> oh. And when I went, it was no big deal. And I just kept cruising, but the that kept going yeah. and it got super fun. And there was a guy wire and a telephone pole and some ice plant. And then this happened. Wait, yeah. There we go. Ooh, that is upside oh. down in a ditch for and sure. And that's San Andreas fault. Well, you know, a stress crack yeah. a bit. And uh, I woke up underneath it with gas pouring on my head. No. Yeah. Oh, that that picture's the good one. The field and everything. Yeah. Man. It, it was gnarly. <laughs> if you ever wonder what a thunderheader looks like with six inches of dirt in its tailpipe. Oh, uh, <laughs> you, you did the old car sample. 
Yeah, it was fun when I started it. <laughs> like a potato cannon. Um, you know, you you <laughs> rebuilt it. You had the oh. frame um, aligned on a jig. I mean, you went the distance on this bike, and I, I, I helped you on along. I haven't told you what happened this week. Oh, God. Oh. Did you wreck it again? No. Oh, I'm. Wait, you know what? Maybe you all can weigh in and help me. I'm on a motorcyclist's problem. I'm on a cusp. Do you, okay. Have you ever had the bike that you're an idiot and you spend too much money on? Yes, right? that's a thing. My current motorcycle. <laughs> you three, okay. So I, we joke this is the thirty thousand dollar Dyna. Like I've wrecked it twice severely, rebuilt. I did suspension and everything last time. I rebuilt it. Owens in the back, race tech in the front. Uh, we powder coated a bunch of stuff. New tins after the wreck. Then I punched the motor out from eighty-eight to hundred. Did all the motor stuff in Texas. Got the heads done. Blah blah blah. My crank went out oh. again. Oh. Oh. So I learned a lesson. If you do not do a Timken conversion on the left side case after welding your crank, it does not matter what you do to your crank because mm -hmm. that bearing will wiggle wiggle and your crank will still go out and everything will still break. And here I am with a big broken poop. Just buy a Japanese crank. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so, dude, I work with Garrett's like, man, just buy an SV650. Get over it. And I was like, you're right. You push the button, it starts, and they're super fun. Yeah, why not? So um, I think I know you well enough that you're going to rebuild it again. But I also know that you ride pretty hard. So my suggestion to you is dial the engine back a bit. I Because you're obviously, your top end is overbuilding your bottom end. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't we didn't stabilize the bottom end, so I just threw it, you know. And what's a trip is the guy I work with, the old timer. That's what he did was all the engine building and machining for everybody in the Bay Area back in the day. So he's like, oh no problem, we'll do the conversion. I have the jig, blah blah blah. We'll get it done like half an hour. Just you know, give me whatever. Well, and it was, might run really good, but yeah, for how long? Bingo. You start building a racing motor <laughs> that can race really fast, but is it doing one race or ten races? Right, and, you know, when six, seven years ago, when I got into this whole thing and was doing it, yeah, it's all it needed to do was rip wheelies and jump curbs and be a butthole. But like, now I'm like, I want to throw my girlfriend on the back and go crawl up some mountains and be lazy. And you don't want to do that on a racing engine that lasts for 105 miles. Right. So I got a question for you because this is something that's come up for me often um, when I see my a lot of uh, people with uh, big American twins spending a lot of money on suspension upgrades. And if you want to talk about expensive shocks, holy crap, go look at how much some uh, progressive shocks or other brands cost for, for Harley. And I've always thought, well, what's the point? It's not like it's a race bike or performance bike or a dirt bike. Like you're never going to get the benefit. But I mean, what you're describing now your whole wreck happened because of bad suspension. Oh no. I watched King of the Motos. <laughs> yeah. and have you, know, you have you ever noticed that big of a difference between like stock shocks and the yeah, upgrade totally um there now there there's i think there's a um a return on investment limit you know what i mean there's a ceiling for having a 700 pound motorcycle that's not triangulated right with a rubber mounted drivetrain you, you know what i mean you're, you're pushing uphill Mm -hmm. You've got so many other things you're fighting. Your rake and trail's funny. You know what I mean? It it handles weird at best at slow. And that's what we 
(laughs) we need help you know and when you look at how they work and everything it's just anything's an improvement is one thing i've seen working a service counter working a parts counter for years for harley davidson working in east texas where no one wants to spend money on anything like a 99 dollar tire is a ripoff and you're a jerk and i'm going to walmart you know wow so having to explain that to these people that suspension is not merely changed for the height of your motorcycle although that totally is a thing too Mm because it's got fit you but your ride does change and the harleys do benefit i think now would i buy olin's again for my personal 15 year old motorcycle hell no um i think a thousand dollar set of shocks for the back was a bit spendy yeah. I was a bit excited of a young little Dyna dork trying to be that guy. But I also understand, like, if you've worn them out, you gotta you got to get new ones. Totally. But, um, you know, I think is the best person to answer this question and others is we've got no. the suspension king himself. Uh, Jason from JPH Suspension. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Hey, not too bad. So you are the suspension guy, and you've come on here to answer all of our questions right (laughs) every question have i'm curious have you uh done work on any like harleys or indians uh i have so what do you think do you think that it's worth spending a thousand dollars on a shock is it that much better than a stock shock it it depends on your application um in the right application yes um like i've actually set up guys doing the uh the hooligan race uh uh the dirt track stuff yeah in that case, sure, you know, it makes a big difference. You know, you can go win a championship on a bike that's dialed in right. Um, for the guy on the street, eh, you know, you don't really need to go that far. I, You know, as I think about it, though, the, there are sometimes, I mean, you're dealing with a very heavy bike. So I guess right there I understand um, the need for shocks. And in, in many bikes, people don't realize it's double, it's twin shocks on, on the right. bottom, right, to be able to handle all that weight. I remember hearing a case once where um, there was work being done on the road and, you know, they had like um, uh, scraped away the road and put up a sign like, you know, there's a small drop as you're going. I think this person was doing like 50 miles an hour or something. It's a little drop. But on their bike, which had, I think, very hard suspension, they ended up dropping and it hit so hard they broke their back. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember and there was like a lawsuit, like, but, but I think maybe when you hit that extreme or you have that heavy of a bike bottoming out that I guess I can understand how it does need to be a very expensive high-end shock, not necessarily for race applications, but for those times where you're going to push it to the extreme. But, um, Jason, I want to find out um, from you more about suspension because, you know, a lot of times people talk about, hey, when I get my bike, I'm going to change out the exhaust because I want something louder. You know, I want to let it breathe more. A lot of people change out tires. Oh, yeah, the stock tires, get rid of those. You need to get some Shinkos or you need to get some this or that, right? Um, the stock seat, it's got to go. I don't know why they even – stock seats are horrible. we got to get a custom seat, this and that. But not a lot of people talk about one of the first things they need to do is the suspension. So. Right. How important is the suspension uh, when you're talking about just street riding and aggressive street riding? Uh, I I would say, I mean, in in my point of view, that's the most important part. Uh, And not even aggressive, even the novice beginning riders, 
just from a safety standpoint, um, not e- not even necessarily upgrading your suspension, but just having your suspension set up for you right. is huge. Um, Jason, could I could I kind of jump in and feel free to tell me if I'm wrong, but from the perspective of somebody who's like yourself is in the industry, generally, unless you are buying the absolute flagship model, the suspension on your new bike or your used bike, unless it's been modified, is going to be the cheapest part of that bike because that's the one the manufacturers really cut corners on. You can't cut corners on engine performance because they're sold as performance bikes. You can't cut corners on fit and finish because if all, if all the paint and chrome fell off, people would go, Bleh. you certainly can't cut corners on brakes. So the one place that if you're building a bike to a budget, and I'm not saying the suspension's bad, but where you're going to find the most basic of all the things on your bike, it's going to be the suspension. That's why upgrading it or at least tuning it is so important. I would totally agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. Your best bang for the buck is definitely going to be upgrading the suspension. It's it's most, the most lacking part of the bike. So on a, like a regular bike, we're talking, um, You know, like a Kawasaki Versus or even like a a CRF250L or I don't know, any of the common stuff. Um, When somebody wants to replace the shocks or get it set up, can you, first of all, let's talk about setting up. Because that was something you did today. We did a, a suspension workshop here and you came and set up everyone's bikes. So can you explain what that is that you're actually doing? Sure. Um, So... For me, what I tend to focus on is balancing the bike for the customer. Um, so the bike's kind of neutral handling. Um, uh, typically, what you're going to see on like a, a stock bike coming out of the factory, they're not going to be very well balanced. Um, the fronts are typically a little bit stiffer and the backs are a little softer. Um, and where you're going to notice that mer- most would be like, say, mid-turn, you hit some bumps. And you'll kind of feel the bike seesawing back and forth. Um, I set the bike up so that it kind of eliminates that everything um, you'll go through mid, you know, a, a turn like that and you'll feel like a singular bump versus the bike bouncing front to back. And when, why exactly is that so important to keep it balanced? Uh, the biggest factor is just from a safety standpoint. Uh, you know, you get into a situation, say a, a mid turn bump or like what we were talking about earlier with that, that ledge in the road. And if the bike's set up properly, it becomes kind of a non-issue versus something that could, you know, cause a crash. So we're talking traction. It's going to affect the traction and the, the tires. I mean, sure, it makes sense. because I mean, especially on dirt bikes, you really learn how important it is to either weight the front or weight the rear, depending upon, you know, what kind of riding you're doing uphill down all that kind of stuff but on street bikes we never really think about that because it's such a big heavy piece but i guess it really is the same and so by having it balanced you're going to even the the distribution between front and rear for best uh performance correct yeah and especially here in the bay area with the chucked out roads we have uh makes an even bigger difference and yes i I got a question liza oh yeah What, what you got mike oh wait and it's 
award-winning Mike. How you doing, Mike? Well, bam, bam, bam. Or Jason? Now I got a question for everybody. Oh, geez. All right. <clears throat> so, what if I wanted my 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 bike to be set up like a Cadillac? You know what I'm saying? Like nice and fucking smooth. I don't feel any bumps. It's fucking good. I get throw a body in the back, and you don't feel a goddamn thing. Can I can can idea? I ask a, a, a return question? What kind of yeah. bike is it? Are we talking? I don't give a shit. Harley? Are we bumps. talking? Because you got. Are we talking your mini bike? Are we talking? Dude, those no wing asses are huge. Have you seen what you could fit in those things now? <laughs> Put a body in the back. Like two bodies. At least parts of some. Totally. Dude, we could definitely put some bodies on Charlie's bike. That's for sure. Yeah, how many you got? I'm talking about, uh, you know, I don't know. It depends. If they're midgets, we could fit a couple of them. Oh, okay, here we go. Can you say midget anymore? I don't no. Know you no, you can't say it, you retard. Stop it. All right. That's <laughs> 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 my question. The <laughs> is little person. You know, yeah. I think we're segueing into a different conversation here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember what he asked. Jason, do you even remember what he asked? Yeah. I, I mean, like, it's a stupid question. It's what? a stupid question. I know it is, but like, I like on my my sport bike. When I had a pumpkin, I'll never forget, like like not realizing how important suspension was until I reweighted the front springs, put heavier weight oil on it, and put the ZX10 shock in the back. I it was like it was like an entire it was like having a brand new friggin' bike, and it was unbelievable. I felt so confident riding it, and I could explain why. But then like you know there'll be other bikes that I ride like you know one of my Harley's recently, my Softail. You know, it's got a suspension in the back. It's got the, the squishy forks in the front. It seems a bit fucking dated the way the suspension's set up. But, mm. uh, you know, I feel bumps. Sometimes I'll hit a bump and, and it'll kind of toss me a little bit. And I'm like, well. Are you referring to a bike like with this? a with an extended uh, Springer no, no, front no. end? No, not my shovel head. Uh, the, the FX STC, whatever the hell it is. The fucking the other okay, one. I still don't know Sometimes what your question is. <laughs> But I mean, like, no, like, I don't know either. Like what the hell are you talking I want it to about? Be like, I want right. it to be like, <laughs> you ever ride in one of those like big body Cadillacs, like Marie's old Chrysler 300? I swear to God, you wouldn't feel a fucking thing. You could run over a body and you wouldn't know it. Um, hey, you Jason, I mean? can I handle so this? Crazy. I think I got the answer. Sure, sure. Hey, Mike, um, have you ever been to like Office Depot and have you seen those stress balls they have? Do you know what I'm talking oh, yeah. about? Where you can squeeze oh, big them? Time. Yeah. So uh, what you want to do is get one of the, get a bunch of those, and you're going to shove those into between each of the coils of the spring. <laughs> what? That's one way to do it. I'm telling <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to have that the is, softest, cushiest ride. Stiff as fuck, though. Then it'd be like stiff. It'd bottom out on that, you know. I don't know. Air bubbles. I'm just wondering, <laughs> like, you know, is there a bike? That's like that when you're riding, like you just don't feel anything. And you're like, oh, no. wow, this is like being in a Cadillac. You, you can, you know? theoretically, you could do that to any bike. It's just how much money do you want to spend? Actually, yeah. I do have the actual answer to this question. And it's actually not no, what you're saying. No, I do. You don't have I any do. Answers. I do. And I, Emma can support me because I'm guessing that oh. Emma. And or Emma's Rick, have, either of them have worked on a police Harley Davidson. And if you guys have worked on a police Harley Davidson, do you know the trick they use for the softest ride ever? Take all the air out of that system that's on those bikes? It's the midget, air, air ride seat suspension. The, uh, the seat bag. Yep. Is also has an air ride. That's the trick. Oh, yeah. I've seen those. Because before. you're trying to 
soften the suspension on the uh, weight of you and the bike. The seat only has to soften the suspension of you. And the midget in the bags. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm trying to <laughs> save right, you, Jason. Question. This one's for Jason, right? Okay. Why is it that every dirt bike I get – all right, so I watch these guys on X Games doing backflips and jumping around like assholes, you know what I mean, and, and flying through the fucking air. They do the Superman, all this crazy shit, right? And I hit a two-foot fucking jump on any dirt bike that I hit at Hollister, and, and bam, when I hit the ground, the fucking thing bottoms out. Now, are all these guys like like Tom Cruise size, like five foot four and 130 pounds? Jason, so, you want me to take it? this one too because I got the answer. <laughs> Mike, on, Liza. You, you it's because you have an incredibly large head, and it weights everything forward. <laughs> You've got all that leverage up top. <laughs> Cantilever. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You know, I could have just stayed home with my wife if I wanted to be offended. You know what I mean? All right. <laughs> Yeah, no, th those bikes are definitely sprung specifically for those those events, for sure. They're, they're running some oh. big ones. Yeah, okay, that's just what I'm saying, because I'm watching these guys. They're doing backflips. They're doing, they're doing wacky shit, oh. you know? And I'm like, I'll, I'll just hit a bump wrong, and I swear to God, I'm a, I feel like the bike, the front end's just going to rip right the fuck off, you know? And I'm like, and this is a brand-new bike, and it's heavy. Right. And I'm like, this, this thing's supposed to be, you know, on point. But I will tell you, my, my uh, KTM 300 two-stroke, that one feels like it could handle some uh, some damage, you know? And I lost 20 pounds. I can't no. fucking believe it. The thing still bottoms out. Well, if you lose about another 75, you'll be about the weight of those guys doing backflips. Charlie, you don't need to even talk about people catching weight, bro. You put on like 40 pounds in the past year. You're 21 years old, homie. You eat fucking All right. box food from Walmart, man. Simmer down there, Mike. Hey, let's, let's talk about this because um, – so Charlie, for example, has a Super 10 that he's been, um, you know, working on making it like the ultimate adventure bike. And Charlie, you decided that you needed to upgrade the suspension and you take it to Jason. So first of all, why did you decide what what made you think you needed better suspension? Well, the back end was like hydro locking and there wasn't an adjustment for compression. So that was number one. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean. And I wanted the like remote reservoir so the oil wouldn't overheat. Um, I, th I think the term you're looking for is actually cavitating, Charlie. If it was hydro locking, it'd actually lock up. Okay, well, you know, it just didn't feel right. Okay, <laughs> so it was, it was a little bit less than ideal. In, it in Charlie, if, that listen, I was if you're if you're if you were eating cavitates for the past year, you wouldn't have put on thirty fucking pounds. Oh, you wouldn't have to worry about. It. You know, my brutal tonight. Said the man with the biggest head ever. Okay, throw some cavitate in there, some carrots. You're good to go. So, I think the, the question for Jason is: So you you've been working on Charlie's bike. Can you tell us what kind of things you're doing to improve the suspension on his bike right so on his bike specifically it was it was undersprung um and the valving wasn't really correct for the type of riding he does um so we you know increased the spring rates uh put a better shock on the back uh, and and kind of changed the valving the, to fit his riding style okay now can you interpret everything you said for people who don't know what does undersprung mean so basically his bike was riding near the bottom of the travel. So even kind of like Mike was talking, he hits a small jump mm -hmm. and then bang, he's, he's bottomed out. Okay. You know, bike's riding hard. And so by actually stiffening the springs, we've softened the ride on the bike. 
but do you do you i mean like is there a, like a limit to how you because i know you have like that has that locking bolt on the rear spring and then you tighten it up right so you can stiffen the spring but like is it at that point do you just say like you get a denser metal spring that uh it like springs more or less or or do you just tighten that thing up a lot to get um uh get it stiffer or so it there's limits you, you, what you're talking about is the preload on the spring um mm -hmm. and basically what you're going to find like whether your spring is too soft or too stiff it's okay am i backed all the way out on the preload if you are your spring's too stiff if you're having to crank in a ton of preload you need to bump up and get a stiffer spring um you know like in your case on your bike you know we're winding the preload in quite a bit so you can tell like all right it's you know a little bit undersprung it could use stiffer springs i feel like you call me fat <laughs> no, no, I'm fat. I'm calling you fat. Yeah, you can call it how you, you know. You can just call it how it is. You know what I mean? Well, I get I'm it. telling you, aren't the 100 pound test rider that was on the bike when they made it? <laughs> I don't think anybody's that dude ever again. Just throwing that out there. Dude, too. Yeah. listen, the SV650 was designed for like a 120 pound Asian dude in fucking Japan. I swear to God. Because I've seen people pull up at stoplights on an SV650, and it's the craziest thing. You watch them, like, stop, and the whole front of the bike just jiggles up and down. Load up the it, like, whole jiggles thing. to a stop. <laughs> yeah, it's craziest fucking thing. Okay. So, um, I'm Jason, I'm guessing a lot of the work you're doing is for uh, performance bikes on the track of the dirt. So can, uh, A little of both. So, can you give us an example, say, uh, for somebody who's getting into dirt riding, for a typical bike, like, a, you know, let's say a KLX 250 or, a, a, you know, XR 400, um, how are the shocks from the from the factory? Would you agree with Emma that they're just shit and they need to be replaced? Or is it a matter of getting it adjusted? Uh, it's it's a little of both. Uh, they're definitely not the kind of quality that you could have. They're, I would say they're the bottom 25% of the spectrum. They're not awesome the way. Yeah, there you go. I think that's very diplomatic of you, Jason. I mean, they're built to a price. Exactly. And where else can you really cut corners? You know, what else on a mass production bike can you Plastic. really ratchet back the quality? There really isn't anywhere. So and that's why. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I guess, but. Um, if you 3D print them and stuff like that instead of molding them, because that's what they, I know that's what they did with the SWM bike. I mean, because they were so brittle, they just snap when you fall over. You know, where's other plastics bend back or whatever. So I know when I bought the CRF250L brand new, um, a lot of people recommended that you get the suspension upgraded. And I thought, I don't need to. I'm never riding aggressive. I'm not hitting gnarly jumps. I'm just doing trail riding. It feels kind of soft, but it's not an issue. Well, it turns out that it was an issue, not for me, but for one of the next owners. Mike, you want to describe what happened to the bike recently, my beloved oh, CRF two hundred and fifty? Because I think this may be suspension related. Oh my God! Did you see the video? You showed me the video. So can oh you describe God. what happened? That was Travis. That was some Travis Pastrana <laughs> shit, bro. I never seen it. The guys behind him were like, "Did you see him? He front flipped twice." <laughs> I've never seen anything like that in my life. So basically, uh, so your friend who bought it, he hit like a jump—not a big jump. It wasn't like he got massive air or anything, but he had pretty good speed. And as he was in the air, 
his weight moved forward, which I'm guessing came from the suspension bucking the rear end up. Because I know exactly uh, what happened. If the suspension was subpar, right? Well, let me tell you something. We traded bikes midway through the day, and Mm -hmm. he got on my bike, and and he watched me get on his bike, and he started laughing because he's like, dude, it doesn't compress when I get on it like that. You know what I mean? Again, another person calling me out for being fat. You know what I mean? But I was like, I was like, whatever. I know that Liza didn't change the suspension on this bike. And I also know that it's entry level. It's not performance. Mm -hmm. But for him, he is about 125 pounds. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know that he would really notice a difference on it. What he did was he was working and he wasn't hot dogging or anything like that. He was working on, uh, you know, how every every time you go out, you work on one thing. Mm -hmm. He was working on flipping the throttle over the uh, lip of a jump, keeping the front end up over a jump or whatever. Um, and I have him on footage. Like he's doing a great job going through the whole, whole thing. Um, and then the next thing, you know, he, he did it late. So what happened was his tire got over the tape. That's the front tire got over the, the horizontal of the uh, tabletop and his rear tire was still going up the lip. And then, then he throttled it. So he just missed the, the front tire on it. So the back tire just like catapulted up. So then he endoed. No, he didn't end up. He landed on the front wheel and was basically riding the front wheel for quite a while. That's an endo. Yeah. That's an endo. Yeah. Well, he didn't just flip over. It was like he almost, he he might have it. He he doesn't have it. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? Because I went and I looked at where he fell. There was a tiny dip. It was like one inch little, like you'd never notice it. But I was like, how the fuck? And and it just, it just, it was enough to stop the momentum and toss him right over the top. Just like you said, he slid forward. And the bike was 12 o'clock, like on the front wheel for like 20 feet. And the next thing you know, the, the, he, he flips, the bike flips, it, it pivoted the handlebar right in his groin. Like he, he had a line from the, the grip on the handlebar from, from his, his wiener all the way up to his hip bone. And, it, and then it pivoted there and flipped over and smashed the back end and the whole rear subframe smashed right into the tire. And then it spun again and smashed back on the back again. So he was not Travis Pastrana, but Travis C. Amanana. <laughs> That's right. Yo, I got footage too. So yeah, it happened. Yeah. I never seen I, anything like I, that in my life. I think it was Travis Pastrami on Rye, actually, after that. Yeah. A lot. So Jason, yeah. is is that, the type, is that the type of scenario that may have been avoided with better suspension? <laughs> I... I Oh, you're breaking up. Yeah. I, yeah, it chucked him. It chucked him. Yeah. No, he, he, no, I think Jason, he's breaking up. Perhaps he didn't have a good breakfast, poor man. <laughs> he was falling apart, man. Um, but yeah, I think um, it may be with, with suspension what I've seen, because I've never really felt like I've ever pushed any suspension to the limit. But it can be that thing, just going a little bit faster or just hitting that exactly. thing. That can be the thing that makes it you get catastrophic. That same situation. Uh, yeah. 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 Jason, you're cut, still cutting in and out. Maybe try doing no video and it might get better. So. Yeah, but I know I like seeing him. He's 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 by far the best looking one of us. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. certainly is. He's very handsome. I mean, he's got well, that John Travolta chin. You know? What no, I mean? he has. I mean, you're up yeah, there, Mike. Oh, I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. You are definitely a looker, Mike. Hey, but, but I think, that, but I, you know, know his cheekbones. Yeah, Jason's yeah, got. Nice Jason's got. He's got the like the maturity All thing right. going. Enough, on. enough, enough. Yeah. So I, I, I got a I got a question for. Bagel, because this is something we talk about. 
in all styles of writing, suspension is talked about. But Bagel, how much do you talk about suspension upgrades in scooters? Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, it is a thing. Um, the The options usually are fairly limited, though. Um, <clears throat> there, are, there are a few aftermarket companies that specialize in uh, in performance shocks for uh, for Vespas and other others uh, more common scooters. Um, but typically, um, <clears throat> it's it's usually just an upgrade to you know somewhat better quality. Sometimes there are uh, adjustable shocks as well, where you can adjust the preload. Um, but typically, that's that's usually the extent of it. There there are some shocks that do have um, uh, what do you call it the the external container mm-hmm. the reservoir. The reservoir, yeah. Um, yeah. So so you can you can spend some money on shocks for scooters, um, but um, but yeah, it's. Uh, you know, just uh, just a few a few choices are available out there, though. How it, how I get a, can't you can't you retrofit uh, like a motorcycle shock for the uh, scooter? So like, because I know that a lot of them have the dual shocks in the rear. Can't you use something that you would use like on a cafe racer that's kind of somewhat performance and well, retrofit it? A lot of scooters have you know a very specific type of mount that they use. Right. Um, like Vespas have a, a bolt that sticks through the top and then the the, the round end on the bo- on the bottom. Um, you know, other other scooters are set up differently, um, or like vintage Vespas I was talking about, um, and then modern Vespas have sort of an offset shock too that has to be just a, just the right right geometry. So it's not like you can just use any type of shock, unfortunately. And you know, the thing is, Mike, what what people tend to forget about Vespas and Lambrettas and Stellas, it's it's a very compact machine. And so real estate is always at a premium. And if you were to take the shocks off a Vespa, even a modern one, and hold them up next to, say, a Cafe Racer shock, you'd be amazed how small they are because they simply don't have room. And I don't mean in length. I mean in diameter. Just the amount of room the shock actually occupies is very small because there is only that amount of room. You've basically got an you're not going to find a girth monster on the... Oh, uh, Mr. Man, Jason is back. Yeah, All right. because... Can you, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, on a scooter, what you've got to imagine is an upside-down bathtub for a baby <laughs> with an engine and transmission and suspension <laughs> bouncing up and down. <laughs> bouncing up and down inside a baby's bathtub. I mean, that's basically what you got. Right, Bagel? More or less, yeah. <laughs> it, are we talking like a nice uh, epoxy tub or are we like a clawfoot fucking cast iron? You know well, it I mean? depends on the quality of the scooter. <laughs> right? now, let's talk some Pinterest shit. I want claw feet. Yeah, yeah, upside down claw feet. The little, the little gold fucking uh, legs on it and shit. Those yeah. Nice. yeah. Okay. No, when We're you want to bring it back as well. You know, there's right. one reads a book in. Y'all just simmer down. <laughs> I, I got. I got some actual questions oh, for Jason. Question. No, you're done. You're done with questions no, no, right no, no, no. now. No, a, no you are question. done. Oh, oh the power suck, of the Mike. mute. They don't oh, to real muted. Suspension. All right, Jason, for listeners out there, a lot of people don't invest in shocks. What are some things that they can do themselves to try and improve the the suspension? And, uh, and what are things that maybe you think are you know, worth them taking to a shop to improve or things to look for. Best advice, go for it. Sure. Uh, as far as the best thing they could do, the, the, the cheapest best thing to do is 
go to a professional like me, you know, whoever your local suspension guy is and get a basic setup. You know, it's, it's going to run you somewhere around $40. And now you have like a base place to start with. And I felt it was kind of like going to get your physical. Cause then you told me that my shock was weeping. Right. Right. And I mean, that's, that's the other thing you'll, you know, the, the guy setting it up, the tuner professional will, you know, find little things like, you know, like your chain needed lubing, your right. one shot was leaking a little bit. Um, you, you know, they can kind of point out things like that and get you headed in the right direction. Can, it, may, may I add something here? Yeah. And this is just based on experience. And this happened so many times. And Rick's going to nod his head because I know it happened down at the Harley dealer. You would get a bike come down with all the upgrades, with the best tires, with the best shocks, with the radial mount Brembos, and you take it out and it's running like a three-legged horse because there's no air in the tires. <laughs> so if your bike is handling badly before you spend a penny, check that it's got the correct tire pressure i can't stress this enough this is the most basic stuff and i would i would speculate that a huge proportion of people listening to this podcast right now if they were to go out to their bike and check the tire pressures they wouldn't be correct and it's no defect in their personality that's kind of how it is we all kind of fall into that well it's a pain in the ass checking the tires you've got to get the gauge in between the discs and if you brush the back of your hand up against the sprocket you're going to get shit all over it do it the pressures are about good so yeah and it's about good isn't good enough i, I think yeah. that that is is excellent advice but Here's something right. I want to check because Jason, you said go to your local suspension specialist. Guru. So, I think so the term is a guru. Rick and Emma for the two mechanics. Do most shops have a capable suspension person or do, are you best to go out of house to an actual suspension person? I have a Harley perspective. Let's have Emma's not first. Yeah, come on. You first. No, you first, Rick. Oh, oh, I insist. Well, that's all I have to say. So in my experience, <laughs> now, so I was a, I've been a service writer for Harley Davidson at a couple different dealerships, different states across the country, and a PDI is your pre-delivery inspection. This is when the motorcycle comes off the truck. It might have some something in it, generally ain't got nothing. The battery's strapped to a pallet, air up the tires, fluids, do the thing, download the latest, whatever. Set up the shock as the manufacturer suggests as a baseline and put it on the floor for someone to buy. How many people buy a motorcycle and then say, I might be a little big for this? Or, you know, can you take a look at that shock? Maybe it feels a little this way or that. Nobody ever, ever, ever in the history of me working at Harley had bought a motorcycle and asked to adjust the suspension after. Mm. They would sooner come back and want to spend money diving into that immediately, which is another way to do it, too. But I think Jason nailed it, too, that the tuning is that's the golden goose. That's the thing you got to get. You can have For the sure. sweetest crap on your bike and it will suck if it's tuned. All right. But um, and I'd like to add from the non Harley perspective, 
If your shop is lucky enough to have a decent wrench, you will have rudimentary knowledge of how suspension systems work, what they do, how to rebuild them, and how to set up the basic stuff like SAG. However, I know, I know a lot about motorbikes, and we all know that, but I know a fraction of what Jason knows about setting up the suspension of a bike. A Come tiny fraction. Yeah. yeah. If you have a suspension guru in your town and they're going to charge a paltry 40 bucks to set it up, you would better get your sorry ass down there and get that bike set up now. Uh, it will change your life. If they would charge up to a hundred, you would. Get, I'm sorry. Let me give you the Harley answer. Up to 120 an hour. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. you know. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, like, well people... like we were saying earlier too, that 40 bucks actually goes a long way because you're gonna get consultation. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna get like the side maintenance uh, set of eyes to look down up and down your bike that you don't have. Yeah. Uh, along with the adjustment and you know recommendations. You know, and I'm actually. It, this just popped into my head, so forgive me if I remembered it wrong, but I seem to remember a couple of years ago, um, Doug's girlfriend, Cat Plank, mm -hmm. had quite a serious wreck on Doug's GS500, yeah. which is a bike for having really appalling suspension, simply by hitting a bump. And Cat's a tiny little thing, and the bike basically acted like a buckboard and threw her off. Am I right? Did I remember that right? Yeah. Yeah, she hit, like, basically a root, in, like, underneath the road. So it was, like, maybe a, bu a bump of, like, a few inches or something. So the bike should have easily been able to go over it. But the, you know, Are you talking about that one on Empire? Yeah. That one yeah, on Bonadune Road? That, that, or would that, dude, that route is no joke, man. I seen a guy in a hardtail. Uh, sunlight from Linsburg Boulevard. His I know what's going on. That one fucking yeah. route that comes all the way out and it comes up like four or five inches. Dude, that thing is gnarly. But this <laughs> is th this is kind of the point that I wanted to make that it doesn't have to be a race bike or you know a, a oh, high performance right. bike to take it to a specialist. And that's the other thing. I think there's a lot of people out there who don't realize that there are specialists who do suspension. And that it's worthwhile to go to them, not to knock, you know, shops like ones that Rick and Emma work in, but this is a whole nother thing. And it's, it's worth doing, um, for just, a for safety right there see, and the, for comfort. But you see, the thing is when you go into a shop and again, we're talking about the shops that have got decent wrenches in them, those guys are on flat rate. So they're hustling and to set up suspension properly unless you are somebody like Jason who's got just these decades of experience, it's it's a loss for most people. So, yes, your fork seals have blown, bring it to a shop. You want to upgrade the rear shock just with an R&R, &R, bring it to a shop. But to actually set the thing up for you, yeah, that's something quite different. Now, you may not have a suspension specialist. We, we're we really lucky where we are. We've got a lot of racetracks mm -hmm. right here in California. Um, 
there's a lot of shops that can cater to it. So you might not have that option. So go down to your local dealership and actually say, guys, talk to me about suspension. Do you have a guy who knows suspension here? Uh, interviewing your service people is something that I never was offended by. I'd get people come up to the counter and be like, oh, what do you know about brake pads? You know, and it, let's party, you know, <laughs> and I think that really qualifies where you're getting your work done to and what you're getting done. Like, Emma, you nailed it. Don't waste your time necessarily dragging the bike in or something, but go have a talk. Go meet somebody there and, and, and be like, hey, my bike rides like this. I think I need this. Can you help? You know, it, that's a conversation that doesn't happen very often. Well, it, you know, people will drop like a thousand dollars on an exhaust system to get a fraction of performance gain, and you're like, oh, my bike sounds better. It rides better. If you could go and spend a hundred dollars to make the bike actually feel better and be safer, you know. Now wait a minute. Here's here's something to the exhaust too, right? What about tuning it? You can bolt that thing on all day long, and it might end up just being a turd. Right. You know? Yeah, it's a ba- it it's a balance of intake, yeah, valve cut and exhaust. So and, tuning, you know, tuning, tuning. It's tuning, tuning, tuning. But we go back to the same guy, you know, who's just spent a thousand dollars on an exhaust and you know, spent a couple of hundred yeah. bucks having Jason or somebody like him set up the suspension. Mm-hmm. And mean, then rides in for a service with eighteen pounds in his rear tire. <laughs> like even just spending like a couple hundred bucks and getting the bike sprung for your correct weight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to point out that of all the bikes that were on the tarmac today at Misfits, the one bike that Jason didn't lay his hands on was my beloved Rufus, and there is a reason for that, and I want to state it publicly that it has nothing to do with jason's skill or his respect for my beloved 25 year old rf 900 is um i have been packing on the pounds lately but i'm kind of halfway through so the next month or so is critical i'm either going to lose 15 pounds or gain another 15 pounds so when i know which direction i'm going to go in then when i get my summer body i'll have my suspension set up for my summer body Okay. Nice. Um, couple things. First, I wanted to say someone else has joined us. We got Micah. Hey, Micah. Hey. Hey. hey nice to see you. Oh, and a cat. <laughs> oh, you so, got a little tux cat. Jason. All right, I got a question for you. Um, sure. For listeners out there, I'm wondering if you can name one or more models of bike that you think have a. a just abysmal um uh shocks shocks definitely like do not just ride this stock bike you definitely want to get this upgraded are there any that you've just seen over and over again and you just can't believe how bad they are uh i would say the the most recent modern bike mm-hmm. uh the mt the mt uh uh seven or nine uh both oh <laughs> Yes, the, those shocks are atrocious. Ah, see, that's a good tip. So anyone like Micah? Um, Micah's, Micah's just <laughs> crumbled. She's just, just crumbled. I think it is just fine. <laughs> well, 
you know, a, a part of it is like a lot of these shocks and stuff aren't serviceable. So like the oil and everything from the factory, it probably feels fine. But, you know, 25,000 miles later, when it needs the oil in the shock serviced, you just can't. But I also, I also want to note that um, I wrote it maybe like 25 miles before Charlie and I set the SAG. So I haven't felt any major problems from it because we immediately took the time to set it up for me. Good. Right. Good. Right. And that's the biggest problem on those bikes is that they're, the SAG is the, the they're undersprung and under preloaded, delivered from the factory the way they come. Mm-hmm. And they're like, just really challenging to ride like that way. For us to get the SAG number to be about right, we had to max out the preload to where really it should have a spring stiffer and probably better. Right. And, right. and on those those two bikes, the shocks are actually about like 10 millimeters too short as well. If they, they made them a little longer and a little stiffer, the bikes would be phenomenal. All right. So just let's just recap. Um, if you want a soft ride, get a better seat. Uh, MT-07 sucks. Um, <laughs> you, you should always check at the shop if, if they know what they're doing. And it's worth uh, it's worth paying someone a little extra just to just to set your bike up just right. Is that, did that cover everything? I want to say oh, yeah. really quick about uh, suspension and stuff. Suspension people are magic because they have to turn <laughs> things like me telling Jason, my bike is doing ba-bum-bum-bum into like, how do I fix this? Which he's <laughs> always been really great at being able to do. And <laughs> that's something I've run across with suspension people in particular is they, they take sound effects and make them into making your bride better, which is great. Yeah. You definitely have to be a good interpreter. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of people will ride their bikes and they're just like, well, this is how it's supposed to be. And they go down some sketchy road or whatever. And it's like totally jacked and like they're bouncing the fuck around. They're like, man, I just suck as a motorcyclist. And they're like, this is just how it is. And they just learn to cope with it. But then they go and interpret that and like, well, this is what the bike does. If I go down that road, then the suspension dude's like, oh, you do this, this and that. And then all of a sudden it's smooth. It's terrifying what people ride. The, the most common response I ever get after somebody rides a bike I've set up is I had no idea my bike could handle this well. Ah. Well, so what are some like, like tiers or steps to like upgrading your suspension? Like what would be like reasonable, like steps? Like, should I first like get it sprung right or like revalve it or like buy a new shock or like, you know, so Number one is get your bike set up. Mm -hmm. That way you can actually figure out what do you actually need. Number two, getting the proper springs for your bike. Number three, that's when you start getting into, you know, cool trick upgraded parts and whatnot. But but set up in springs. Those are those are the the big two. And at at which step is it that you're putting the um, pieces of PVC pipe in the front shocks? (laughs) <laughs> uh, preload spacers. Uh, that, that would be yeah. That would be step three where you actually ah, modify stuff. <laughs> I remember doing that to a CB750 I had because someone told me that that's how you make it better. I had no idea what I was doing or why, but I did it. Better is cool. <laughs> we right, we right. no, it didn't just make it better. It made it <laughs> betterer. Betterer, exactly. <laughs> well, and so like, what's the benefit of revalving a bike, and why would you need to do that? So the benefits are definitely going to be the thing's going to work a lot better. And why would you do that? You know, if your bike's not working good, you know, once you've set it up, if you find out like, okay, we went through the setup process, 
you know what? The bike's still not right. You know, I'm hitting bumps. It's harsh. Or, you know, maybe I'm a little heavy. You know, things just, it's not working for me in the way it came stock. Um, you know, you get that deep into it and you can actually, you know, fine tune a bike to the specific rider, whether they're, you know, a heavier rider, whether they're like an aggressive rider, or even, um, honestly, some of the beginning newbie riders that are very tentative, sometimes you got to actually soften things up for them because maybe, you know, they've bought a bike that's meant to be a, you know, aggressively ridden sport bike and you got to kind of tune it down for them. All right. I got to come at you with a hard hitting question now. What is your favorite weight of fork oil? (laughs) Uh, the most common I use is a five weight. My Ooh. favorite, I would say, is a uh, I use a red line like water. It's that's what I use. <laughs> that's what I use on my forks on my uh, twin chambers on the Showa. That's kind of a that's kind of a secret weapon, I guess. That would be something like a guy at home could do. Just changing their their uh, their fork oil to different weight is something that's pretty straightforward and can make some pretty mm-hmm. significant changes. I used to take uh, whatever like pieces like we had different all different weights of oil and i would like making a cocktail blending them to get just the right blend all right i do that yeah, see yeah. you can do it it's a thing oh yeah <laughs> well good so um i want to wrap up suspension do you have any last advice you want to give to people get your bike set up okay. no, no matter how good you think your bike's working let a professional check it out and set you in the right direction uh, Make sure, make sure you've got your summer body first, because if you hit the turkey and stuffing and pumpkin pie and put on 20 pounds, it's all going to go to shit. So make sure that you get that summer body squared away before you get your suspension set up. Right, Jason? Yeah, sure. Yep. Yep. So, hey, Jason, get those, get those you come back too. later and get it yeah. checked again. Yeah, just do it twice. Do your turkey body and then <laughs> and then right down the same. This way, we, we can definitely get over here, and you can just up. change it back and forth. There you go. So, so, Jason, when you when you're actually doing uh, valve servicing, you you have your own kind of formula that you use, right? Like. A lot of it's like, uh, do you actually do uh, valve installations as well or third-party type stuff, or is it all you? Right, right. No, I do do all of that. I, I can even uh, modify and manufacture my own bits and pieces down there depending on the application. Right. Nice. Well, oh, yeah. Jason, I wanted to thank you uh, not only for coming on the show, but also coming to the garage and doing uh, the suspension workshop. Um, it went pretty well, I think we might have to do it again yeah Um, yeah i'd say the only problem is it was too successful i had to keep telling people to scatter social distance social distance (laughs) keep your space um and the one thing we haven't talked about is jason really is one of us and not only do we love him down at the misfits but you know jason you're kind of family as well aren't you <laughs> oh yeah yeah so uh uh jason's married to mean megan that's right and, yeah his baby and, mama and the baby mama and you came down with baby today and he's such a handsome little guy <laughs> yeah no he loved it down there 
Yeah, he had a lot of fun. Cool. So, Jason, um, I want to make sure we give you a fair plug. What, um, how, how big of an area in California do you cover? And if somebody is in that area, how do they reach you uh, to make an appointment? Sure, sure. So I pretty much I'm traveling all over the state depending on the event. Um, you can get me at jphsuspension at gmail.com or my phone number is 406-370-4128. There you go. So give them a call. And um, yeah, especially here in the Bay Area, it is a very good investment. Um, and, and you may not know that until you need it is kind of the point. So thanks, Jason. You're welcome to stay on if you want or you can bump out. I know you got that that cute kid to go play with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to put the kid down. All right. Thanks for joining us, man. All right. Yeah. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll thanks talk to you soon. Right, Appreciate it. Ciao, Jason. All right. So um, I wanted to bring up, well, first of all, let's do a, a nice plug for one of our favorite people. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but the guys at Cleveland Moto have started a new uh, pod or not a new YouTube uh, series called Moto Stories with Unky Phil. And it's really good. Uh, they're taking advantage of uh, one of the guys, uh, Stephen, who he works in, in video and media, so he can do some professional-looking stuff. And the first uh, episode they put out is about how Phil accidentally opened up his motorcycle shop, which is a good story. I didn't, I didn't know the whole story, that he never intended to own a motorcycle shop. It, it all happened accidentally. I don't know, Bagel. I think you're, you're on the way, seeing that pile of scooters behind you. Right. You, you, you might accidentally open up a scooter shop. It, it's possible. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but I wanted to, um, yeah, so go check out uh, Moto Stories with Unky Phil on YouTube and make sure you subscribe. <laughs> they need to get some uh, more followers there. There's some cool stuff happening. And, and Philippe is an old friend of us. I mean, really, Cleveland Moto and Recycle Garage, the Misfits, We've been running together since the beginning, and mm -hmm. um, we we love Philippe. Um, I wanted to give another shout out to the Noco Moto podcast. Um, I did a recording with them, so I'm going to be on their upcoming show. Make sure you check it out uh, with Swiggy and Moto G Pete. And um, the next topic I want to bring up is something we actually talked about on their show, but I want to get the misfits perspective on this one. Um, have you guys heard the big oh, boy, announcement from Yamaha? Yes. Yep. That oh, the R6. They are discontinuing the mm -hmm. R6, the VMAX, and the is it WR250R or WR250? Um, that's kind of big news. So for a lot of people, the R6, this is a bike that has been around for a long time. Uh, for some people, it's a starter bike. Uh, for some people, it's a high-end race bike. Um, it, it's the anything uh, 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 you need it on, to be. Hold on. It was never a starter bike. For some never, people. No, 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 for, no, no. It was never a starter bike. It for, was sold as a, a I know, but bike, I'm saying for some, bike. because a lot of people who ride leader bikes tell their friends to start on like a CBR 600 or like to them, that is a starter bike. Just like a Sportster 883 is a yeah, starter bike. Right. That's what so, I'm saying. 
It oh, depends. He didn't do the air quotes. He didn't do the air quotes. I didn't see that. Yes. So, so but still, uh, is R6 has been around a long time. Why do you guys think? Well, well, no, why not just stop? Because yes. I would like to talk a little bit about the history of the R6, just very, very briefly, because we're not talking about a flash in the pan here. No. Because arguably, the R6, you can trace back to the Thunder Ace, the Thunderclees, which you can trace back to the FCR 600. So mm-hmm. you're talking 30 years of history here. Yeah. It's a 30-year production run, just with a different name. So we're not talking about a flash-in-the-pan bike, but I agree with Nark. It's never been a starter bike, although it's often been sold as one. It's always been a very, very quirky power at the top, not the easiest, extremely uncomfortable, but extremely rewarding bike to ride. And that's been the hallmark of the 600 Supersport Yamaha, really, for 30 years. Yeah. Well, so that I was especially, I mean, like, there were 600 Supersport classes, but they weren't, those bikes weren't as high strung as, you know, the Yamaha, because they were kind of, the, the, the later R6 models were kind of almost purpose built for racing, I guess, you know? Are they just discontinuing it as a street model, or are they still making a track yeah. only model? They're coming with a track only model that has like upgrades and stuff like that. So you can still buy an R6. It's just not street legal. Yeah, Correct. well, there's still the 600 That's class. There's still the 600 class uh, racing, right? So they yeah. have to keep those around for the racing circuit, which is what yeah. surprises me because a lot of bikes are bought because they're racing them. So that's why I was kind of surprised that the R6 was discontinued. But um, my theory on it is that the MT-07, formerly the FZ-07, is is really filling the niche. That and coupled with, I think, that the trend of a race-style bike, a sport bike, has gone out and everyone's going to more upright naked bikes. What do you guys yep. think about that? Well, Honda announced... They're discontinuing the CBR 600 almost a year and a half, two years ago. They thought that was it, part of it is just it was a it's a dead market now. There was a time in you know 05, 06 through the Great Crash that 600s were like you were saying it's a quote unquote starter bike and it was you know a good way to get into motorbikes. But uh, it's it's just not the case anymore. The the market's really not there and emissions with the Euro five emissions has a lot to do with it too. So. We're really the market right now is like the hyper naked bikes. Yeah, which would be the MT07. Yeah. Right. And what I'm really and interested to see is if they're going to release like an R model of the MT07 that comes with like now, mm, Interesting. I, I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but a lot of peop- what people don't realize the way the Japanese manufacturers price their products is the the manufacturers in each specific country are treated as autonomous entities. Mm. So Yamaha U- USA has to pay for the research and development of the R6 for America, just as 
Yamaha Europe has to pay for the R&D for the European spec R6. And if the market's not there, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, the Can I say something here, though? Yeah, I, go ahead. I gotta be honest with you. I, I don't know how every, everyone else feels about this, but I'm a, I, I'm a kind of a visual person. And when I think about a sport bike, like you'd ask Nock and he would say a sport bike is something that's probably meant for track and a little bit of fun on the road on the weekends. But like mainly his mind would go to like a race bike, right? Like on the track. Mm -hmm. And somebody else might think a sport bike is, you know, something else. But like, I personally don't really like the, I, I feel like there's a way to do a naked bike and it looks cool. But like to take away like the fully fared uh, sport bikes to me is silly because I think of like it as an exotic vehicle. And, I, and when I think of an exotic vehicle, I think of like a Porsche or Lamborghini. Could you imagine like taking off the bumper and the side parts on the Lamborghini? It would look like a stupid fucking car. And I kind of yeah. feel that way when I see naked bikes. Like the, the uh, triple, the the Triumph triple. I mean, not not the one Charlie had. That one was sick with the um, with the fairings on it. But I mean, like it just it, it reminds you of that old like '80s picture of the Lamborghini the boys had up on their in their wall. You know what I mean? Like you have a sport bike, it wouldn't be a fucking tri uh, a triple. You know what I mean? With the stupid fucking headlights. And that's just what I think. So if you're gonna get rid of the R6, I I, I, I don't know. There's definitely people out there who are aesthetically, you know, that's kind of important to them as well. I think. Right. I all I uh, all I can tell you is that, to my knowledge, during the final years that I was at a Yamaha dealer, the majority of sales for our sixes and to a certain extent our ones were two people whose intent was to use them solely on the track. Yeah. But I think that I think that had a lot more of the the proximity we were to <laughs> Laguna Seca anyway. Yeah, it's it's the backyard thing. But even at Superbikes, whenever I got an R6 or an R1 in, it was almost always a track bike. Yeah. That well, said, um, you know, I, I took care of personally a couple of R6s that my friends commuted on. I can't think of a least suitable commute bike. You know, the guy must have had, you know, wrists that were made out of concrete. But <laughs> he loved it. He bought it new in 2008. And I think he's he's got about 65,000 miles on it. And it's still running like an absolute champ. But I've been taking care of it since new. So what do you expect, eh? So the R6 is a, is a big surprise. Um, the VMAX, I don't I'm know. Not, I'm not surprised at all about the VMAX. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the VMAX was a boutique bike really mm -hmm. from day one and you know i'm going to upset a lot of people here the gen 2 v max was a big disappointment for me because not only did it look odd it was actually slower than the gen one you know and i have to say on on a lot of bikes that were around a long time let's say like the kawasaki concourse by the time yes. it got to the end of its run the gen one or even the klr right by the time they get to the end of their long run you're aware that the bike is outdated in ways, even though you're buying a brand new bike, it's outdated performance. But for some reason, I've never felt that way about the VMAX. And I think a year one VMAX is just as good, probably, because those things are just about the power and the power is there. It's not the, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I think that there's enough VMAXs out there in the world to keep going. And, uh, you know, I, even though they're discontinuing the new one, I still think someday I will own one. And it might be like a 1988, uh, you know? 
I think it's just like they just weren't selling because they're out of time the VMAX came out like maybe like a year or two later, Ducati came out with a Diablo and that would have maybe taken what the VMAX yeah. could have been, you know? It's like now you have a prestige Italian brand that's kind of exotic and is a power cruiser slash, you know, sporty thing. So who knows? But, right. That's a niche market for sure. Harley oh, yeah. yeah. FXDR thing. Do you guys remember that? The yes. Harley's big fat tire replacement of the yeah. breakout that came out. Uh, I was working in Tennessee, and we were like, what do we do to make this thing cool? So we all scratched our butts like a bunch of old cows looking at a new fence. And we realized, oh, a plate delete kit, duh. We're going to treat it like it's from, the, you know, one of the metric bikes. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> and and it helped a ton. And the bike looked super clean. It had this wacky jungle gym of a license plate holder on it. But at the end of the day, this bike was for a very special person. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and... You know, they got it and they loved it. And then they bought another one and they put it in their house in Florida. And then it was that kind of a thing, you know, and I was like, okay, that's okay. Some bikes do that too, you know? So I'll tell you the one, the one that surprised me the most out of this list of discontinued bikes is actually the WR250R. So um, we all know, so Honda has a CRF250. They got a lot of different versions of it, right? The L, the Rally. And then if you want the Kawasaki version, like Mike got, right? The the KLX, KLX, right? Great bike. And then Yamaha has the WR250R. I mean, the fact that they're discontinuing that with the only bike that fits that niche that they're, I guess they're keeping is the XT250. The XT250 to me is a different bike completely. Um but I don't know. Are they planning on that uh, filling the void? I, I don't know. I'm I, that's why I'm confused because especially I mean dirt biking is bigger than ever right now. Yeah, totally. And that WR250R is uh, is the dual sport bike. The only dual sport bikes that Yamaha has is the XT250 and the TW200. The T-Dub is kind of like it's just a cool thing on its own. It's its own thing, right? The XT250, I don't know that many people will have them. Um, the WR250R, though, much more common. I don't know. what uh, You think they're going to replace it with something? Or do they just think that the dual sport category doesn't need that many bikes? I was about to say, maybe they have an ace up their sleeve. Maybe the next, do have new models been introduced or anything like that? Is there anything coming down the pipe anybody knows of? No. Well, not that uh, I know yeah. of. I know on my side of the fence with the Harley stuff, we'll get a leak or something. And they're like, oh, obviously that's going to be the new whatever the hell it is. And, you know, the next thing comes in. But, you know, I'm being on my side of the fence, hearing that there's not going to be an R6 around. That's, yeah, it's weird. You know what I mean? That's one of your core segment things, you know, like hell on our test ride things. When, when it'd be like, what kind of bike are you riding? And they're trying to get all your info. It'd be like, you know, you'd select an R6 was one of the little boxes. Right. You know, what kind of bike do you have? You know, it's standard. I don't know. I think just like the other day when we announced, uh, was it Kawasaki that's splitting up the motorsport division? Um, the And even with Harley Davidson, they're making all sorts of announcements. I think at this point with just the crazy year and that we're having and with who knows what 2021 is going to bring, um, I think we're going to hear all sorts of announcements that may not make sense to us, but I usually say when, yeah. if it doesn't make sense to you, that's because somebody who sits at a desk with an Addy machine made the decision. Yeah. And that you, you'll often hear a decision 
that you think is catastrophic and if you have a slightly different perspective like the Kawasaki decision we thought oh god this is the end of Kawasaki and I think it's going to be the beginning of Kawasaki I think it's going to give them not being shackled down by Kawasaki heavy industries yeah. and the whole corporate mentality of that and the you know the pricing the way they price things out i think it's just going to give them a, a, a new lease on life i think it restructures to a certain extent yeah it's yeah. the absolute best thing that could have happened to them you know uh switching gears a little bit here you know what i found interesting was how ducati is getting rid of the desmond system for some of their bikes Whoa. yeah and some of the uh, sport touring models uh none of their non-race stuff they're going to regular valve springs and is that because of the 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 assumption that any harley davidson is going to require more service and more expensive service are they trying to make something that's wait what harley davidson i mean i mean sorry ducati Ducati. sorry ducati Ducati. is that because ducati is known for being no it's the other one yeah (laughs) higher maintenance and 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 more expensive to do something like a valve job are they trying to make something I, I think the service cost has got something to do, do with it, but I think it, when it comes down to it, I think it's just manufacturing too. I think it might be cheaper to produce Less like poppet valve string, yeah, but poppet valve string motors than like you know dynamic system. So you know, I mean, they're all V's, so there's always going to be a pair for everything. So if you're going to make a uh, 16 valves, might as well make them you know the standard 16 poppet type valves. Might be easier for them or less cost. Wow. Yeah. Um, I wanted to throw in another uh, plug, if I may, for the South Jersey Moto Film Festival. That's right. You can go get your tickets at RevSisters.com. And guess what? Tickets are free for the first weekend. It's The festival is going from December 4th through 13th. For the first weekend, it is free. You still have to register. Or if you want the extended 10-day pass to see all the movies, it's only 10 bucks. So go to RevSisters.com. And I just want to share with you um, one of the movies that I think is is pretty cool that is playing at it. So uh, think about one of the most iconic motorcycle photos in existence, right? Rolly Free in his mm-hmm. oh, underwear yeah, yeah, yeah. at the Salt yes. Flats yes. setting a record. Have you yes. ever wondered why he was in his underwear? Why he didn't have his clothes on? I just, because, I yeah, because the leathers were causing so much drag. He couldn't get the bike up to the speed he wanted. I think, weren't they ripped? And it was yeah, like, so, like a parachute. So basically, one of the movies we have, it's called Black Lightning, the Rolly Free story. And it tells the story of Rolly Free as a racer and then about that day and everything that was going on to reach that that higher speed and trying to break through and what he had to do and and ultimately why he looks the way he does in that picture so um just an example of a great movie uh so go on over to revsisters.com and get your ticket now um another thing i just wanted to bring up i don't know if many of you saw it but um you know, I go down the YouTube rabbit holes all the time. And this is something that I found interesting. Uh, I posted the video on our recycle page. And um, what happened was uh, it was this guy in, I'm sorry, I don't remember what state it is right now. It might have been Arizona. I'm not sure. He's uh, on his motorcycle 
and he goes into a Walmart to go shopping, but he doesn't take his helmet or gear off. He just walks in with his backpack and his helmet on, and he's playing music in his helmet. So he doesn't see or hear that when he walks in that uh, a manager kind of was shouting to him like, hey, you, you can't, you got to take your helmet off. <clears throat> and he just walked past him because he didn't see him. Well, the manager thought he was ignoring him. So then the manager followed him a bit and kept from behind saying, sir, you need to take your helmet off now. You need to take your helmet off. You can't come in here like that. And he just ignored him because he couldn't hear because of the music. Right. So then the owner or the manager said, you need to leave. You need to go. And he just kept walking and shopping and he's getting his fruit and his different things. And then he went to the cashier. He paid it. And he's about to walk out when the police show up and detain him. So I don't know if you guys seen this. Well, what happened was they were like, so you, you some sort of wise guy. You don't want to like, you know, listen to instructions. What's your issue? And he's like, I'm. I'm sorry, hold on, let me turn the music off. Like, what? You know, they're like, well, let me see your ID. He shows them ID. Take your helmet off, take the helmet off. And they just started lecturing him for being a, like a, a hooligan or a wise guy. And he's confused. He has no idea what's going on. And then the store manager comes over and is like, I told you you can't be in here. You need to get out. And he's just like, I don't know what's going on. And he's trying to explain himself. Like, I was just listening. I just, and then another cop steps up and starts telling him, you know what? You better just stop talking. You better just shut up. Who do you think you are? And so he stopped talking. And then another cop comes up and starts asking him questions. And he's just raising his hands and shaking his head like, I don't know. I don't know. And then they said, oh, so now you don't want to work with us. Okay. Um, you want to charge him with trespassing? And the manager says, yes. And he is handcuffed what? and arrested and taken He's away. He's got a receipt. Kick rocks. Wow. The dude bought stuff. You're dumb. And if you watch this whole video, it makes Rough. perfect sense. The issue that happened was the manager told the cops, I went right up to his face and I told him he had to take it off and he ignored me. He, and he says, I followed him halfway through the store. I repeatedly informed him he just ignored me and they took the manager's word when you watch the video footage that is included in the youtube link sure. you can see that he was out of his sight range every time and that it was actually quite possible this guy but these people were saying um you who, are you nuts are you why would you ever go into a store with a helmet on and a camo backpack in this day and age with all these shooters and everything don't you think about how you're going to freak people out are you some sort of idiot and i i was kind of offended because i go into stores with my helmet on all the time i cuz you're an idiot because i'm an idiot do you i mean have you guys done that but no i i don't thought i'm supposed to I wear a to. mask Right. <laughs> and um, since COVID, I've done that too. I don't yeah, take so, my helmet off. I just leave it on and shop with it on. You know, that, there's that, a. Sorry, that video no. came out a while. Sorry, that video came out a while ago, right? Like six months plus ago, even before. This was before the pandemic. Right? No, this is recent. No, no, this is a while ago, right? Maybe it's uh, recent to her. Uh, yeah. The the person who put it up put it up recently. I don't know when the original yeah. was. Yeah, there's a published date on there somewhere, but okay. yeah, anyways, but yeah, I, I remember seeing this in the motorcycle forums. Um, it seems like it was a half a year ago, almost a year ago, and the the, the conclusion was both the, everybody was being a dumbass, and you know, and that's you know, usually how that I, works. 
I think there I think there is value in that statement. Um I'm not suggesting for a moment that the cops didn't escalate it. Oh right. But of I I always take my helmet off when yeah. if I'm going inside a store. Um and you know, you've got to think about it. It's rare that you need to go inside these days. If you're at a gas station, it's not like the old days where you have to go in and pay. You know, you pay at the pump and you keep mm -hmm. your helmet on. But if I'm going inside and I actually have to engage with somebody and say, I'd like that candy bar and here's a dollar, you yeah, know, my helmet's off. Yeah. And yeah. I think it was like, it wasn't just the fact he had his helmet on. It's the fact that he was playing his music yeah. as well. Totally. And I think it's like, you know, it's like a crash scene investigation. When you come up against a Harley lying upside down in a ditch, you go back of all the factors that led up to it. And the factors that led up to that crash were mud on the roadway, poor suspension, excess speed, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so the end result of this was this guy getting arrested. So what contributed to it? And the contributions were helmet on, music playing, probably overzealous cops, overzealous. The um, store manager definitely painted a different picture. Store manager. You know, it's all these factors and you kind of add them up. Everyone was being a dick. There's one more factor well, here that came into play. And this is why they're saying... Um, what are you thinking in this day and age? Aren't you thinking that you're going to freak somebody out by wearing a helmet and a camo backpack? And that to me kind of struck a chord. Like, really? Like, we well, now have to think that. about how somebody might think that we're some sort of uh, a mass shooter just because we're wearing a well, helmet? Liza, let me, you that, wear one of those, you wear the, you always have the, the modular. You, yeah, you wear a modular helmet. So you're saying that you walk in. And but, maybe you don't always wear but it, but since I mean, I've seen COVID, you walk in, but, you up. but since COVID, I've kept it down. I did it last week when I walked into Seven yeah. Eleven. Listen, I, I do the same thing as I just take my helmet off immediately because, like, I've seen enough movies where, like, you know, the bad guy rolls in and he always has a motorcycle. He jumps off the motorcycle, keeps his helmet on, and, brrr, and then like pops <laughs> in. And I mean, I always yeah. get this like weird yeah. feeling, like, why the fuck would I wear my motorcycle helmet inside of a store? I'm mean, gonna just take it off, and it's just it's almost like. It, to me, it's almost like uh, volunteering that I'm not a robber. You know what I mean? That like yeah. I'm not suspicious. Right. I'm just volunteering that before I come in. And I feel like whether it's implied or not, when I go in with a helmet on, it just it might make people feel weirder. Like, dude, this guy's got a fucking helmet on in right. the store. Right. He's been in here for like 10 minutes. Take your fucking helmet off. What are you doing? You know right. what I mean? Like, wait a minute. Do the stores have a variable? Do the stores what? Are the stores a variable? Are we talking the gas station because you're getting gas and you're on your bike? Or are we talking you walked into Costco? Well, like, in this case, too, I will admit he's going to uh, Walmart and walking around shopping. I I mean... That's a little more than... I'm thinking yeah. 7-Eleven, I ran in, I'm going to get a bottle of water, hang a pee, and we're out of here. You yeah, know, I agree with that. I keep it on for some time, and I have. Yeah. In a little gas station, I just roll up, and I'm, I'm, I'm planning on literally getting on my bike and going. But, totally, but totally. if I'm there for a minute... A couple minutes, five yeah. minutes, you know what I mean? Walking around aisles and shit. Like, I'm fucking wearing my fucking helmet on. I just so, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, like, in certain municipalities that in high-risk type businesses, like banks, gas stations, they get held up a lot, that they do want you to take off your helmet or face covering 
so you can, you know, so you, you don't shoot people out. They can get and, you on and, camera. Yeah, exactly. And part of it too is like, if, for me personally, if you're going to do an exchange which involves like eye contact or whatever, like it's just polite to take your helmet off, I guess, typically. Yeah. You know? Now, what so, if he was self checking? Because it's Walmart. What right. if it's the horrible enabled situation, right? Right, like, right. Tunes on his own planet. He's just doing his thing. Like, yeah, could have happened. Well, now if he, if he had one of them brain lids on, you know what I mean? The, the right, cruising, cruising hard fucking ones. That's just a hat. Well, and also when they actually specified the the camo backpack, like that yeah, is some okay. sort of a a <laughs> sign that you might be up to nefarious things. I'm like, are we gone yeah, to this dude, point? If you're trying to listen, if you're trying to operate a fucking assault rifle, it ain't you ain't gonna be putting a helmet like a helmet on with a visor and all this shit on to try to sit there and fumble around with a fucking assault rifle. Right. I mean, like, well, yeah. and that's exactly. I you know, felt like a, even uh, though the uh, cops all said that they're riders, you he's gonna drop you from the side. Even though the cops said that they're riders, I kind of felt like it was a bit of a bias towards a motorcyclist. Yeah, you know, well, but, uh, but makes a lot of tax dollars. Yeah. Now, anyway, imagine trying to walk into a casino dressed like that. Uh, well, yeah. Well, here's <laughs> hey, let's fun. let's uh let's do a little uh, experiment. Misfits out there, go walk into places in helmets and uh give us a feedback if you get oh, arrested. No. Oh my don't, god! Don't I'll go to the bank. <laughs> At your own <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Actually, I wanted to just bring it to attention because it's something that I do without really thinking about it, and yeah. so um I wanted to bring it up that. Even though I, I think it was uh, not right that this guy was arrested. Um, yeah. That yeah, definitely, definitely was going too far. It was definitely yeah. due to the the manager giving misinformation and the cops escalating it. Mm -hmm. um, but I will agree that that maybe it was a poor judgment choice on his that deserves some sort of a warning. In fact, he was also banned from all. Walmart's and Costco's. Oh, <laughs> and just, yeah. Whoa. Yes. He for he was uh, arrested for trespass and permanently banned from all of them in the that country. Is lame. Well, it was lame. At least they're consistent. God. Well, yeah. you can go on to our Recycle Santa Cruz uh, Facebook page and you can find the link. Check it out. I'd like to see your comments because a lot of people have been commenting what they think on it. Um, I think it's time to get to some emails. Emma and Bagel, you had some emails. If you can cue those up, I got a quick one I'm going to read. Uh, this one is from from Adrian. Adrian says, Hi there, love the podcast. Just a quick comment about the ongoing dilemma about the color choice for Liza's bike. I once tried to spray paint an old Kawasaki KE125 to match my VW Combi in the early 80s, which was a sort of a mustard color. Well, my dad walked in and asked why I had selected the color called Shudder. When I asked what he meant, he simply said it looked like a mix between shit and butter. An ideal <laughs> choice for Liza's bike. <laughs> There's no Shudder in this crayon box, just so you know. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Wow. Thank you, Adrian. <laughs> All right, Bagel, I gave you some of the harder ones. Yeah. Well, let me start with uh, with one. Uh, this looks like this is from uh, Brad. And Brad says, hi, guys. I love your show and have listened to it ever since I saw the Sobbing Scooterist at the Portland Motorcycle Film Festival hey. several years ago. That was starring you, Bagel. Indeed it was. And, and Brad says, I met Bagel there and so happy to hear he's moved up north to Vanita. 
In fact, after listening to a bunch of episodes right after I found out about the Recycle Garage, I decided that I had to listen to them all in order. Oh. And over the last two years, I've done just that. And he's he's writing wow. to us from an asylum. <laughs> <laughs> from says, a padded cell. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not from a padded cell. <laughs> he says, I listen to them while I'm in my garage working on my motorcycles, but also in the morning while I'm showering. Whoa. <laughs> yes, okay. I touch myself while listening to you guys <laughs> in some oh very intimate places. What? <laughs> He should call a professional. Wait, does uh, that mean he's he's misfit sexual? Um, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, he says, I sure hope Bagel starts the Vanita Recycle Garage soon. I'm about two hours away in Vancouver and ride motorcycles, but did own a Yamaha Vino a few years ago. And all my motorcycle friends laughed at me because of it, but I don't care. I'd rather ride a slow scooter fast than a fast bike slow, or mm. something like that. <laughs> anyway, I was browsing Craigslist and happened to stumble upon this Heinkel that Bagel Ooh. might be interested in acquiring. I remember listening to him talk about his prized possession and don't know if this would be something he'd want, but definitely wanted to give him notice if he hasn't already seen it. And with a link to a 1961 Heinkel Tourist 103A2, which is for sale in, uh, on Portland Craigslist. Um, now, I, I did see this ad, and it is very tempting, but I already have three Heinkels. And I, <laughs> so you have them all. I you, want you, somebody else to enjoy this Don't one. you want the, the other one? <laughs> I, I don't need them all. But but this definitely needs to go to a good home. So if somebody ever has wanted a uh, a Heinkel scooter, uh, look on Craigslist in Portland. Uh, this one is a is a really nice one that I think would be a great project for somebody. Uh, but Brad continues, and he says, "Oh, and regarding my up the butt bike, I had been considering what might be for about a year when I realized about a week prior to Moto Moto uh, it's episode. Well, how does that pronounce?" The which one? Moto Moto, Moto Sis. Moto oh, Moto Sis, yeah. Yeah, the Moto Sis episode that I'd want one of those. Mm. It was so uncanny that you had that guy talk about them a week later. Seriously, it was weird, and I guess great minds think alike. I love most of your episodes, and I have so many favorites, but not a fan of when you go to the festivals and talk with the crowd and interview people. Those ones are rather boring. Regardless, <laughs> this is my favorite pod podcast by far. Keep up the great work. <clears throat> Brad. Oh, he's sweetie. What an absolute sweetie, Brad. Yeah, You're an absolute Brad. sweetie, darling. Emma, you got one to read there? Yeah, I got one to read here. And this one is entitled um, 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 Congrats, Emma. And I'm not going to do the accent because I simply don't do accents. I don't reduce myself. So there you I are. got news for you, lady. <laughs> hey, hey. You do um, one every day. Hi, everyone. This is Mike from South Carolina here. Funnily enough, he's from the area of South Carolina where they talk like people from the Midlands of England. <laughs> Feel free to gauge your accent with the phrase, what in the hell with wood in the hell? Um, <laughs> I'm just reading what it says here. Um, just finished the podcast and was happy to hear about Emma's plans. Um, I had thought I had a thought that might work for her. Make a working museum. 
just like those old historical sites that have blacksmiths banging out horseshoes for tourists, Miss Emma can have carburetorie builds for random motorcycle nerds to watch. While not actively teaching, she can just do a regular work on a project. She can likewise invite other builders and artists to come in and do their work for a week, month or day or whatever as they answer questions. I guess there would be a door fee or a gift shop sales or something to actually make the money from the public. I don't know, whatever keeps the doors open, good luck. From Mike in South Carolina. Um, you know, my vision for my shop, this is news to you, Rick, because you probably didn't hear the last episode. Um, Tell me more. I'm finally taking the plunge. I'm going to open my own shop. Shut it. Awesome. And, yeah, and I've got some very, very clear ideas about what I want to achieve but not quite so clear ideas about how to get there but it's a motorcycle shop first and foremost in that it's a workshop uh -huh. and you can give me money and I will work on your bike however I want it to be a part museum I want it to be a part artist space I want it to be just kind of a cool hangout. I like it. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I was inspired. I was trolling through some photographs on the interwebs, and I saw a picture of Andy Warhol's studio in Greenwich Village from, like, 62 or 63. <clears throat> and he's working on something or other. But there's just these random people around just hanging out and being cool and <laughs> making the scene. Sure. And I think if... If I was to paint it with the broadest stroke, you know, I want Emma Shop to be making the scene. Yeah. And at my age, I'm I'm slightly my motivation is slightly different because you know I'm nudging sixty, and so I don't need to make a million bucks. Well, also you're forgetting to mention that at your age, you always need to be near a bathroom. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, well that depends. On depends. So, um, but basically, this is this is a project not just for me, but for my friends as well. That as long as I make sufficient money to pay the rent on the place and meet the bills at home and so on and so forth, I'm quite happy with that. So I don't have to gouge anyone. I don't have to hustle. It's just going to be a really nice scene. Um, and, so you know, we're going to get... Uh, who's bringing the LSD and mushrooms? <laughs> no, no drugs, darling. Oh, okay. No drugs, darling. I figured I'd uh, ask, you know. They'll, they'll be hey, some not, It's It's all hugs, not drugs. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, there'll be Tylenol on the counter if you get a nasty headache. Mm. Um, it's not a drug. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's the broadest plan. And, you know, I've had a couple of emails about this, and I'm sure I'm going to read the other one soon. But it's it, it's the same kind of idea, this kind of working museum. Um, as I churn out these bills for, you know, the Jameson Museum or the Talbot Museum or whoever I'm building a bike for, I'm doing this side work and doing kind of clinics while I'm doing it. And I really like the idea of that. I've always been a huge advocate, as Rick will tell you, of sharing the knowledge. Absolutely. You, you know, Rick, um, I always loved, 
I always love telling this story. So Rick um, had a late 70s Triumph Bonneville, one of my absolute favorites, a T-140V. 1978. 78 T-140V. And it had rather a nasty oil leak from the primary side. <laughs> and um, it's um, Rick came over and to my garage to work on it because at the time you had nowhere to work on the bike. And I was actually out. And so you pull the primary cover off and it's like, what do I do now? I've got a gasket. And I, I said, well, you know where you. everything is, make one. I remember calling you and you weren't there. And you're like, well, the tools are on the floor. Figure it out. And I was like, well, what the hell do I do? There's no gasket in both. There's a cornflakes box over there, isn't there? For a British bike, <laughs> there is no finer gasket material than a cornflakes corn box. box. It, it never leaked after that, the end. Damn right. <laughs> never, ever underestimate a cornflake box for a British bike. And I'll tell you why it's so good. It's, it's very absorbent and nice and squishy. But there's sufficient thickness to just take up those little irregularities. And, yeah, you made your gasket out of a cornflakes box. And, 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 yeah, and never leaked again. So, you know, I like sharing this knowledge. And above all else, I like hanging out with people. You know, I like hanging out with creative people. So hopefully I'm going to come up with this space where... You know, you want to come out and hang out all day. If you don't bug me too much and I'm busy, you're welcome to do that. But if you just want to come over and have a cup of coffee for an hour, you know, yeah. and just shoot the shit, that's okay too. So, you know, I'm, I hopefully am going to create this kind of space. That's my idea. Um, so there you go. Well, I think we have time for one more email. And this one uh, makes me smile. So, um, hey, Emma, you remember our friends, uh, Robert and Audrey, who came up about two months ago uh, wanting to get a bike? They think they got some gear here. Well, oh, is, is, is this the, uh, the senior couple? Yes. So yes. they bought a bike. Oh, good. So um, they got a 2020 Honda NC750 XD and love it. Uh, say hope you and all the misfits are well and looking forward to the next podcast. The guests have been very good lately. Best wishes, Robert and Audrey. P.S. DCT is magic and it can read my mind. Yes. Yes, that's so true. It's another DCT convert. I love it. Well, um, I think uh, the only other thing just to announce, which is just a little announcement, just like Emma's been announcing like something kind of prematurely, I'm going to announce something prematurely too. Starting another little video series and uh, recorded uh, the first uh, episode yesterday in Mike's Garage. Got All something right. special coming. Uh, it's going to take a while to edit it, but... Um, the uh, the idea here is to have a series on garages. It's kind of like uh, MTV Cribs, but for people's garages. And uh, Mike has a great garage, so we did some filming down there. I'm going to be editing for a while on it. Um, but I don't know if you guys have heard I'm, the name I've come up with, which it's not, it's not, it's out there, but I think this is the perfect name for it. So it's called the Garagenous Zone. Ooh, uh. 
Right? How about yeah, how about uh, how about Phil's name, the Garage Mahal? Yeah. Well, just because for so many of us, the garage is that place. It's a, it's a social place. It's it's a spiritual place. It's so many things for us. It's, you know, it's it's a it's a spare bedroom for our children, basically. So, um yeah, the garage garageness zone. Look for that soon. Um I think that's wrapping up. Rick, I wanted to thank you for joining us and hope uh, hopefully you'll join us some more times. I'm not scared. And maybe yeah, even come down you know, and Rick, visit. It's, yeah, it's been great <clears throat> seeing you, mate. It's you know, it's been a it's been a hot minute or two. I keep but... moving to the other side of the country and working for American V twin companies and, and it's it's yeah, it's silly. It's silly, but um, I would like to think of you as be consider becoming one of the regular misfits. Now, of course, if we get a flood of emails saying who's that complete knobhead, Rick, and if you, yeah, that guy sucks. <laughs> I mean, you'll you'll be canned in a heartbeat. But no, no, that means he gets to stay on. Well, I one hundred percent. I think I think actually getting complaints about Ricky is quite a long shot scenario my my suspicion is you will actually be quite popular from the outset your popularity will grow ricky so hey um, people complain about me don't change nothing i'm still here <laughs> eg problems dog let's show them wait till paul snubs him at the quail <laughs> oh, no. oh my god um, hey, and don't forget to go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. You'll find our links to everything there. And uh, even though I sold a bunch of T-shirts today at our uh, at the garage, I do still have um, a bunch of shirts left. Uh, 25 bucks gets it shipped anywhere in the U.S. Just send a PayPal to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. And hey, don't forget to... Me, yeah, they're almost gone, dude. You should have got one today. Damn Ooh. It. All right, I will set one aside for you and i currently have yeah. small through double xl yeah i don't um, think she's got it extra sexy anymore so you might damn be out. damn <laughs> i'll take an extra ratty then <laughs> exactly medium dad bod yeah you're just gonna have to tie it up above your belly button it, yourself. it just doesn't fit Ooh. quite right you know and it just you're always trying to pull it up stretch it loose a little bit yeah, that knot can be cool though if you like get it right. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. <laughs> There's like yeah. this little chongo you buy at the flea market. I've seen to do it. We should check yeah, it yeah. out. <laughs> just tie it up and tell everybody I'm Brittany, bitch. So and and I guess <laughs> I think even though we didn't officially <laughs> announce it, now that knock is completely healed, feel free to go back to signing off your emails with fuck knock. <laughs> yeah yeah right uh and to do so just send it to recycle motorcycle garage at gmail.com um send us an email let us know what's up let us know what things are cool and what questions you have and hopefully we'll get to them um rick this is a part of the show where we're going to sign out and we're going to say our name and everyone goes in alphabetical order and the game is to see if emma can figure out where she her part is okay just to give you the heads up <laughs> So on that note, wait a second. Seriously, you're yep, doing this thing? Yep, yep. Alphabetical I, I'm order. I'm so bad with the alphabet. I know this is where it all falls apart. So, oh no. Also, I want to thank everyone, our listeners, and especially our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much. You guys, uh, so helpful in, in keeping everything going here. Um, I think that's about it. Thank you, everyone. This is Liza. This is Dark. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Emma, darling. Mike. Rick. And we're out of here. Whoa, did that cool? Cool. cool. cool.